with us over these last several months, we've been walking through a message series called The Good Life, an opportunity for us as a church to wrestle through the Beatitudes, which is a series of blessings found in Matthew chapter five, spoken by Jesus that hopefully can help us answer the question, what is the good life? And today I get the honor of preaching on verse 10 as we close out the message series today. And so I'm actually gonna put it up on the screen and I'd like for us to say this verse together. Follow along with me. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last time I was here that I got to preach, I taught on meekness, everyone's favorite topic, right? And now I get to teach on persecution, yay! I get the lucky easy ones, don't I? But like I said last time, as I'm gonna say again today, I believe the truths that are found here, not only in the Beatitudes, but all of Matthew chapter five are incredibly essential, critical for the church to truly understand, to begin to try to embody, to allow our posture to be a reflection of what we see here in the words of Jesus in the midst of a difficult, challenging world that we are walking through. And so let me start our time by just asking kind of a weird question. Do you remember the last time or a time that you were insulted? Do you remember the last time someone said something about you to you that deeply hurt and offended you? Just think about that for a second. Now let me ask you another question. How did you respond? What was your response to that person that insulted you, that was mean to you, that said something critical, that slighted you in some way? What did you feel in that moment? How did you want to respond after someone said that? Now, as many of you probably you know, recognize and realize, we live in kind of a challenging, I'll say, hostile world. Does anybody agree with me that we kind of live in a difficult world? And no matter how hard we try, there's going to be moments where we're going to have arguments. There's going to be moments where we're going to get into conflict. There's going to be moments where someone is going to say something insulting or critical to us. And the human nature that we have inside of each of us always wants to respond in kind when someone insults us, right? Like someone says something critical towards us, we always want to like maybe say something critical back at them. Not that we necessarily mean it, but we want to like even it, right? We want to make everything feel okay. Like revenge is a natural response that sadly we as humans have. Now let me give you a for example. I'm going to share with you guys something. I hope you're okay me being a little transparent this morning. Is that okay? Okay. I'm going to share with you something that you probably have no idea about me, okay? This is going to be shocking. The revelation of what I'm about to tell you, your jaws are going to drop on the floor, okay? So I'm gonna tell you something about myself that I just noticed the other day, okay? I just noticed this. So there's no way that you guys have any clue about this. So, But I noticed this the other day about me. Um, I've started to lose my hair. Okay, I was expecting like more of like a what shock. Okay, so I'm gonna say this again, okay? And I want you guys to be like, what? We had no idea, that's crazy. Oh my gosh, Aaron, you had it so well. Okay, hey church, I don't know if you realize this, but I just noticed something the other day. I've started to lose my hair. Thank you, okay? Was that so hard? Jeez, make me feel better about myself. I actually have a picture that helps illustrate this a little bit. So this was at a baptism we did uh, out at the river. 
And so uh, you see Doug on the, the far left here, he's got that silver mane of hair just blowing in the wind. We have Lauren in the middle who's just got hair all the way down to her shoulders, rubbing it in my face. And if you, if you lean in and squint just a little bit, you'll see the start of my hair loss right there. Does anyone else? You might not see it. Now, obviously, I know I'm losing my hair. And do you guys don't want to know the worst part about losing your hair? You know what the worst part is? Everybody and their mother tells you you're losing your hair, okay? <laughs> Everyone likes to bring it up. Hey, by the way, Aaron, did you know you're losing your hair? And I said, oh, I had no idea. Thank you for, I was wondering why it was so cold up there. I had no idea. <laughs> now, I tell you this because I got to be honest with you. Again, I'm trying to be transparent. When people point out the fact that I lose my hair, and a lot of people do, strangers, friends, family members, my nieces and nephews more than anybody else, like, oh, by the way, <laughs> Uncle Ducky's losing his hair, oh, take that. I get this little feeling inside of me of like, I just want to say something mean right back at him, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not proud of it, but there's been moments where someone has criticized my loss of hair, and I look at them and I say, what can I say about that person to kind of even it out? Now, I'm not going to tell you what I've thought because I, I don't want you to think less of me, but I got to be honest, I've had those moments because again, this is human nature. When we are criticized, when we are insulted, when somebody offends us, there's something inside of us that says, if I can get back at them, if I can say something insulting to them, if I can do something to hurt them, maybe I'll feel better about myself. And this is why, the words here in Matthew 5 are so important. And I want to read for you verses 11 and 12 because they follow the verse that we read that kind of give an exclamation point to what Jesus is trying to communicate to the church in this situation. He says this in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let me ask a better question today. How do we, as the church, live the story of Jesus in a frequently hostile world? It is really difficult, right, to try to follow Jesus when we live in a world that's continually challenging, discouraging, attacking because of the faith that we have. So we're gonna to try to answer that question. But before we do, we have to define a couple terms as we talk through this verse because some of the words that are used here are not words we use on an, an everyday basis. So the first thing we have to understand, the first thing we have to define is what does persecuted mean? That's a word that we use a lot, but we might not necessarily know the real definition of it. The general definition of what being persecuted is is an individual or a group who are being oppressed mistreated or suffer because of a part of their identity. And this happens a lot in a lot of different ways. People are persecuted because some part of their life or their personality, their culture or where they came from or something that they believe in. Now, if you look at the word that Jesus uses, specifically the persecuted word that he says, what that translation is more of harassing someone, troubling someone. The real definition is that someone who's persecuting another person, they're seeking to drive that person away. Try, trying to drive that person away from this situation. So this is what Jesus is trying to communicate, that you are going to be persecuted. People are going to harass you, 
trouble you. They are going to try to drive you away from a particular situation or particular idea. But we have to then connect it to the other part, which is righteousness. Now, again, righteousness is a churchy word that nobody uses, right? We don't walk around going, you look righteous today, right? It doesn't make sense. So what is righteous? Righteousness, in the most simplistic definition that I can give you, is this idea of someone who has the right relationship with God. They're in right relationship, not only with God, but with those around. But a better definition that I could probably give you is this. I believe those who are righteous are those whose fidelity and allegiance are to Jesus Christ alone. And above all other things, they look to him for authority in their life. And that commitment, that conviction is then shown in evidence through the commitment that they make to live as Jesus lived. So that's what we're talking about. Jesus is saying, you are blessed if you are persecuted, if people harass you, if people try to trouble you, if people try to drive you away because of the choice you've made to follow Jesus. So what do you think of when you hear that? Persecuted for righteousness. Now I'm here to share with you that I think that this can take a lot of different shapes and forms and we have to be really careful not to play the compare game. And let me give you an illustration of that. The first thing that comes to my mind, the automatic thing that has come to my mind when I think of someone who is persecuted for righteousness takes me back to a trip I took to Bangladesh in India back in 2008. Got to go on a missions trip with my college and we got to spend some time uh, in these two countries. And let me tell you a couple things about Bangladesh in India, in case you didn't know. Number one, it is really, really hot in Bangladesh and in India, okay? And you guys know how I deal with heat, okay? I think anything beyond 78 degrees is really, really hot, okay? And so Bangladesh and India was ridiculously hot, okay? I was in a constant state of sweat basically the entire time. I felt like I was in middle school again. It was so bad, okay? The second thing about India and Bangladesh that was really challenging and difficult is they really, really like this certain spice called curry, okay? Anybody out there like curry? Yeah, yeah, woohoo, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful for about the first 12 hours, okay? But after a curried egg and curried fish and curried like water, it, like it was so bad. It was so bad and my stomach is used to Taco Bell and Panda Express, okay? So my body was saying, no, this spice ain't gonna work, buddy. And so I spent most of my time in a certain area of the house, which I won't get into, but I've never had curry again and I'll never have it, okay? I smell it and I just go, uh, I can't do it, I can't do it. Now the third thing about Bangladesh and India was, and probably the best part, is again, it was too very challenging but an incredible experience because of the people that I met. And I wanna show you a picture of one of my friends I met. His name is Susanta. I met him in Kolkata, not Calcutta, Kolkata, India. And I just spent a couple days with him and our team just got to hear about the ministry that he does in the streets of Kolkata. And it was amazing. He said to us, shared with us, the conviction of his heart that he has is he wants to take the gospel message and share it with every single person that lives in his country. He wants to take the gospel message and share it with every inch of India. And as he shared with us his challenges and his stories, he says, every day, I don't know if my life is going to be in danger. Because there are a lot of people in his country, there are a lot of people that know of his ministry that don't agree with it. <laughs> they, they don't want the gospel. And so every day he says, 
I could be killed today. And it's so incredible to talk to him because you, you would never know that his life was in danger. You just knew his conviction was my goal, my job, the responsibility, the call that God has placed in my life is that I love my country so much, my people so much, I want them to come to know Jesus. And so whether I am in danger or whether I might be killed or whether something might dangerous happen to me, it does not matter. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. When I think of someone who is persecuted because of righteousness, because of their choice to follow Jesus, I think of my friend. Susanta. But, like I said, persecution takes a lot of different shapes and forms, and we can't play the compare game. It's really easy for us in our American understanding to go, wow, that's real persecution, right? What's going on in the rest of the world? And I'm sure there are other stories that you probably know, people, mission trips you've gone on where you know that following Jesus is a dangerous thing in other parts of this world. And we don't understand that here, at least to a certain degree, here in America. So I want to respect the church around the world where every single day it's dangerous and they take their life in their hand. We as a church need to understand that, be inspired by that, maybe even be encouraged or convicted by that. But I also don't want us to be ignorant to the fact that the enemy is going to try to discourage, distract, and persecute the church no matter where it is, okay? Does anybody else agree with me that the church, no matter where, is going to be under persecution? Like, that's just the reality of things because of this core truth. When we live the story of Jesus, when we choose to live like Jesus, when we put our allegiance and our fidelity to Jesus Christ alone, the world will not like that. The world will not understand it because when we make that choice, we make a second choice without not even realizing it. We're choosing not to follow the story of this world. And the result of that is, Opposition, challenge, hardships, suffering. And I know this message isn't sounding like, hey, woohoo. Like this is one of those hard like truths that we have to wrestle with because this is the result of following Jesus. There is an enemy that wants nothing more than to break the church apart. And sadly, the enemy has done a good job of that throughout the years. And the enemy is continually right now attacking the church here today Trying, our, trying his best to prevent us from following Jesus. So let me ask this question again one more time. How do we live the story of Jesus in a frequently hostile world? I want to give you three ideas that I just, as I've read through the scriptures, that I just think that would be helpful for us to understand as we try to navigate and wrestle through this difficult topic. And the first one is kind of a basic one, but it first starts with just our mindset and our attitude. And so the first thing I want to share with you is this. When we live the story of Jesus, we need to expect and brace for hardships. There's a lot of things that I expect in my life. I've got a lot of expectations. Number one, I expect that every time I'm forced to go outdoors, I'm going to have a bad attitude, okay? Like, I, I expect it. I know it's going to happen. I know that when my wife's like, we've got to go outside, and I'm like, Fine, I'll go outside. I know that I'm going to act that way, okay? So I prepare for it. I, I think to myself, don't, don't be a stick in the mud. Don't be a baby. Let's go. Let's just go and enjoy God's creation. Like, I'm just really excited. <laughs> like, I'm going to do it. So I want to report that a couple weeks ago, I floated down a river with my family. Thank you, yes. And I spent some time at a lake, okay? 
putting my life on the line, thank you. I put a little note in here that says, pause for thunderous applause. So thank you guys for that. Okay, so yeah, I'm, not, I'm not a hero. I'm just trying my best, okay? I expect, I expect that the Seattle Seahawks are gonna be a dumpster fire this year, okay? Anybody, where are my Seahawks fans? No, don't clap for that, sir. That's not okay. Where are my Seahawks fans out there, okay? We gotta rally, guys. We gotta like do a prayer meeting or something. I don't know what. But it's going to, it doesn't matter who our quarterback is, the Seahawks are going to be just a disaster. I mean, they lost to the Dallas Cowboys the other day. So, and the Dallas Cowboys are barely a football team. So, anyway, I expect, I expect, I expect my children to argue with everything that I say, okay? Doesn't matter how many times I've told them, doesn't matter how logical it is, my children will find an argument in anything that I tell them. My oldest daughter came up to me the other day and we were talking about something and she's like, Dad, I'm 10 years old. I'm not your little girl anymore. You've got to realize that I need to be independent and kind of make my own choices. And I said, okay, then you can move out. You know what I mean? (laughs) I didn't say that, I didn't say that. But I felt it, I felt it. I felt that then you go get your job or something like that. Start. I expect a lot of things. Sadly, and as hard as it is, I expect that because I've made the choice to follow Jesus Christ, there's going to be challenge and opposition. Do not be surprised. We should not be surprised when people misunderstand, disagree, or argue with us because we love Jesus Christ. Suffering, persecution, hardships, it's symptomatic to the church's existence. Let me read for you Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy, a younger Christian, a younger leader in the church that he's trying to encourage. This is what he says. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured? You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. And here's here's the key. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I saw on a website the other day as I was just kind of thinking through this topic, and again, I don't know how viable or reliable this website is, but it's dedicated to talking about persecution, Christian persecution and martyrdom, and it said that over 360 million Christians live in high areas of persecution around the world. So it's kind of ludicrous for us as the American church to be so shocked or so angry when the persecution comes. Because like we said, as Paul said, for those that want to live a godly life, this is sadly just a part of pursuing after Jesus. The world is going to be against it. The enemy wants to discourage us the best that he can. And I believe that if we have this mindset, right, if we're prepared for it, if we're thinking about this, if we understand this is a part of following Jesus, hopefully, when those moments come, when the persecution comes, when the trouble moments come and they're harassing or the frustration or the discouragement, we are less likely to respond out of our humanity, which always can make things more and more difficult. We are less likely to respond in anger. Not that it's justified, right? Not that... Being persecuted is great and we have to like be so excited for it and can't wait for it, but we will hopefully change our attitude and perspective when that comes so that we don't respond and lash out in that revenge type human nature mentality or that we're not discouraged by it. 
Hopefully today you will not be discouraged if you are experiencing persecution as you are following Jesus because Jesus himself said, you are not only going to walk through this, but you are going to be blessed. So this, that's the first thing. We gotta expect it, we gotta brace for it. The, the second thing I wanna talk about is this reality, this truth. In the hands of God, our suffering can beautifully reflect Jesus to this world. Now, this is a truth outside of just this idea of persecution, but it's very much present in this idea of persecution for righteousness. Anytime we have suffering, anytime we go through hard things, in the hands of God, he can take it and he can beautifully reflect Jesus to others. The New Testament church specifically, right? If you read through Acts, if you read through the Pauline letters, you'll see time and time again, they were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were stoned, they were prosecuted, they were executed. And let's not forget the greatest example of someone who lived a righteous life and the persecution he faced because of it, but Jesus Christ himself suffered a horrific death because of the way that he lived. And despite the best attempts of the enemy, despite all of that, despite the most discouraging of attacks, the church and the gospel has not been stopped. Amen? No matter what the enemy has thrown no matter what he has done. In fact, not only has the church and the gospel survived, it's continually thrived and encouraged generation after generation. Think about the most encouraging like stories in scripture are usually the ones surrounded by hardship, difficulty, challenges. That's the enemy trying to stop the story of Jesus. And yet God is like, I always have the final word, amen? Now, let me read for you some words of Jesus because he can say it better than I can. This is what he says in Mark 13, verses eight through nine. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Woohoo, yay. When these things begin to happen, watch out. Basically, be aware. You will be handed over to local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. And then here's the key verse. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. One of the most beautiful things that I think that we are hopefully understanding as we've walked through the Beatitudes, right? As we've studied all of these different blessings that Jesus says, is that we realize that we're not trying to achieve some kind of moral goodness by doing this. We're not trying to achieve perfection. That the reason why we're trying to live as Jesus lived, to understand what he's saying here in these Beatitudes is because hopefully that posture, that attitude, the way that we live, the way that we respond to this world and this culture is going to then become a public witness. That the way that we live will actually show those around us who Jesus is. And then people will begin to say, why do you live the way you live? Why do you act the way you act? Why do you treat me with such love and respect and dignity? I just don't understand it. And we can say, it's because I love Jesus Christ. Many of you guys might remember this story, and this was a while ago, and so I'm sorry to bring up a story from many years ago, but back in 2006, this is a story that has stayed with me for, forever since I remember hearing about it. But do you guys remember that uh, horrific moment that happened in the Amish community, the shooting that took place? For those of you that are aware, unaware, here's a picture. Here's some details. West Nickel Mine School in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. The story goes that one of the neighbors of this community, one day, 
gets up, goes into this school, kicks out the men and the boys, boards the school up, and sadly ends up shooting 10 of the children, 10 of the girls, ages 6 through 15. Ends up killing five of them before taking his own life. Now, again, the reason why I talk about this is because I don't ever want to treat these horrific moments in our history as just another news event, and I forget about them. I try to come back to them and say, okay, God, help me try to learn continually from such a horrific incident. And the most shocking part of this story is not necessarily the killing that took place, but it's what happened after when the family of the killer was having a memorial service for their son that had completely and totally devastated this town, completely and totally devastated these families. And they're living then with this is the legacy of their son. This is what they're going to be known for. This national news of a disgrace and horrific and disgusting, and I can't believe this. And then who shows up at the memorial service? The Amish community who had just buried their own children two days before. They show up at this memorial service. Why? To get revenge? To get their, to get their say? To make themselves feel better? They go and they offer forgiveness to the family and to the son that killed their children. They want to mourn with this family. And then they make a commitment to building a relationship with this family from that day forward. Folks, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, this is what Jesus looks like. This is what it means to have our allegiance, our fidelity, all of our life in the hands of Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of our pain, which again, I'm not justifying, I'm not downplaying the hurt, the chaos, just the insanity that this family had to go through, the heartbreaking, the wrenching of what they had to go through. But in the hands of God, the worst of suffering can beautifully reflect Jesus to a world that does not understand. Third thing I want to share with you today is this. The kingdom of God is promised to those who experience and endure persecution. This is one of the hard ones. This is one of the more challenging ones because hopefully we've talked about this and if we haven't, allow me to. But I think one of the core truths that Jesus is trying to communicate here in Matthew 5 is that the kingdom of God has come for those that are in need. The kingdom of God has come that Jesus himself showed up for those that were hurting, for those that were poor, for those that felt marginalized, for those that were outcasts, for those that were suffering, right? The, the Rome, Roman, they weren't doing anything for those. The, even the temple, the, the, the established religious authority, they weren't doing anything. So Jesus has to show up and says, my kingdom is for those who are struggling, who are wrestling, who don't think that they're important, who don't have a lot of power. My kingdom has come for them. Because you understand that for those that have power, for those that have all the answers, for those that are self-sufficient, the message of Jesus is really hard to actually live, to accept, to, to live out, to believe. So let me just say this, church. If you are in this room right now, if you're watching wherever you're watching from, I just want you to understand this. If you feel marginalized, if you feel like you are struggling, if you feel hurt, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, if you are wrestling with God even, if you are walking through this life and you feel like nobody cares about me, nobody cares about my opinion, I'm not important, 
I need you to hear the words of Jesus. You are blessed. That there is a God that loves you. There is a God that knows you. There is a God that is with you. And there is a God that is for you. And this is the basis for the joy that Jesus talks about, for us to be able to celebrate, for us to feel blessed when we're walking through difficult times. Because Jesus literally said, the kingdom of heaven is for you. First Peter says it way better than again, I'm trying to say it right now. Verses 12 through 14, he says this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange was happening to you. Again, don't be surprised, expect this, prepare for it. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. And then verse 14, which again, if you want to memorize the scripture, memorize this one. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Again, this is a challenging, difficult world. And I know that we live in a challenging and difficult time. And that's why, again, the words of Jesus are so important. The words of Peter in this moment are so important. When we're insulted, when the church is attacked, when we walk through times of persecution, let us claim the truth. We are blessed. Not because of what we're doing, because God has literally said, my kingdom is literally forming around you. And you have the spirit of God resting upon you. Now, I want to close with just three things I want us to do. That's a lot. I know that's a lot. So bear with me. I'm going to ask you to do three things today. Number one, if you haven't already done so, my biggest challenge for you today, this week, spend some time and memorize the Beatitudes. We've just walked through them. We've talked about each and every one. And I know that memorizing scripture sounds like something that we have kids ministry do but I think it's something that all believers should do. Taking time and allowing the truth, the word of God to be a part of our very lives, to literally just kind of resonate. And so start with one beatitude, memorize that, then take another one. Figure out that first one, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Memorize that one, get that one down and then start on the next one. And then start on the next one. And I'm telling you, in a couple of days, you'll have the entire Beatitudes memorized. And that's going to be the start in allowing that truth to be embodied in our lives so that maybe, just maybe, we can live these out. But there's something else that we need. Number two, I want to encourage you to call upon the Holy Spirit to empower you to live out these truths. Now, I know when we talk about the Holy Spirit, for some of us, that's really uncomfortable. We, we don't like talking about the Holy Spirit because... Like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, where, how far are you taking this? And so I'm just gonna say the same words that I think Jesus said to his disciples, which was basically, I'm gonna be gone soon and I'm gonna send you something. I'm gonna send you someone and it's gonna be the power of my father. And he's gonna be your counselor. He's gonna be your helper. He's gonna be your friend. He's gonna give you the words to speak when you have no idea what to say. He's gonna give you direction when you have no idea where to go. And he's gonna give you strength when your weakness is overwhelming. The cultivation of the kingdom of God is impossible without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid of the power of God in your life. And the third thing I want us to do is I want us to end in worship. 
My wife tells me all the time, we should always end church with a worship song. Anybody else agree? Okay, fine. She's right again. She's right again. Every time. I'm like, right again. But I love ending in a worship song because it ends the service with us in a posture of humility. It it allows us to, to end our time, at least during this servant, in this service, with our hands up to God saying, God, we need you. Like, God, I know that you're true. I know that there is power in your son's name, but I need to believe it. And so worship is that opportunity for us to say, okay, God, help me believe it. Help me live this out. And so the song I asked the worship team to sing is called Fullness. And here's one of the lines. And when we get to this moment, I really want us to powerfully sing this. Now the world awaits your presence. And this power is within us. We will rise to be your image. Spirit come, spirit come. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day and for this church, for my church family, Lord, that I love so much. And I thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we've come in a spirit of humility, as we've come in a spirit of trust, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Lord, as we take your truth, your word, the Beatitudes, the words of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that we would live out these attributes every single day, Lord. And when the hard times come, because I know they will, and as we are walking through difficult times as a church, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the attitude, Lord, to prepare for it, that you would give us the ability, Lord, to allow Jesus, your son, to be seen through our hard moments and difficult moments. And Lord, let us begin to recognize, celebrate that your kingdom has come. Your kingdom is here now, and we have a part to play. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment. And I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, his Holy Spirit, and your great love. Let us praise and celebrate you today. In your name we pray. Amen.